0: Hi, right, welcome back to the Lease Hunting Strategies Podcast. I'm Levi. I'm Wes. Uh, we do not have Clinton with us this week. He's off doing Clinton things. Who knows what that is. Uh, this week, we have a guest. His name is Ben. Um, ooh, I wanted to say Happy Veterans Day to him. This is kind of like a Veterans Day special, in a sense. Uh, hey, happy but, Veterans Day to you, too, Levi. Oh, thank you. But uh, anyways, tell us who you are. Tell us what you're about.
1: Yeah, hey, uh, my name's Ben. Um, so I, avid hunter, been hunting since I could walk and been introduced to by my uncles growing up and kind of like expanded upon hunting locally in your backyard to traveling internationally and getting into some more adventurous outdoor hunts as of late. And so really about sharing that experience with others.
0: Uh, let me get to my notes here. Where did you say you went to? You went to Saskatchewan, you said?
1: Yeah. So I've been to Saskatchewan three times now. The last time I just went there, it was for a moose hunt. So uh, that was an awesome experience, first time moose hunting, and had a really close encounter with one. And really put in perspective just how big a moose is.
0: I mean, can you kind of give us an idea? (laughs) Break her down.
1: Well, we'll just say I thought I was hunting dinosaurs there by the end of it. Um so, to, to start with, you know, my preparation for moose hunting was just figuring out where to shoot the thing, you know, and had not really no idea, you know, I watched some videos of people moose hunting just to get an idea of, you know, what I'm looking for, but I never really understood the size of a moose until I had a close encounter with one. It was on day four of the hunt. We, we've been kind of busting our backs going deep in the woods at this point, so... We were following some fresh sign on a moose we called the the road moose, the road bull. It was just a giant bull. I mean, his tracks were, you know, 14. So I wear a size 12 for a boot. It it was bigger than that.
0: What?
1: Yes. Um, (laughs) not exaggerating either. I have pictures to prove it. I mean, are you
0: kind of talking like it's bigger than this little deadhead here? Yes. Wow. 100% bigger than that. So this is like an SUV on legs.
1: Yeah, so that was my first thing. Like, holy sh- holy crap! You know, these are these are big animals. But um, so fast forward, you know, day four of the of the trip, we get to this spot and Tyler, my guide, stops and he's like, "Hey, I hear a bull grunting," and I'm like, "Dude, whatever. I don't know what a bull grunting sounds like for a
0: moose." But How does I, it sound?
1: Where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds. It, it's very soft you know you think they'd be loud but it was, it was pretty soft like kind of like a cooing yeah but um eventually i started hearing it too and i'm like oh okay yeah there there's a bull moose below us and he's like pointing this tree and he's like hey yeah, i need to get down now I'm, I'm rifle hunting mind you uh through some we're in some thick stuff i mean it's not open field it's thick woods i might have a 40 50 yard shot with my rifle if the the bull moose comes in
0: so i gotta ask you before i forget this question when i see the videos and i and i hear people talk about it it doesn't really put it in much of a perspective How, i mean is this like walking through thick briar bushes around here or is it a totally different game
1: totally different uh there's so going back to just describing the vegetation on there there's three different types i i described um during my adventure there. And the first one is, like, the low-lying marshlands. Because, you know, moose moose forage for wetland vegetation quite a bit. So they're frequenting those those bottoms, the marshy bottoms. It's very soft. And, like, there's there's moss, brightly covered moss on the floor. You're walking, and it's like walking in, like, a waterbed. So you take a step, and you, you sink. I bet your cat's killing Oh, you. yes. So, you know, you had, no matter where you went, you were encountering all all the different types of this. So you're walking through that and, and the worst part was is that the mossy ground was covering like old trees and stumps. But sometimes you'd take a step and you'd end up breaking through, you know, a rotting log and whatnot. And it was a lot of, you know, twists and turns and every step you took it felt like you're taking three just because you you sink into it. But that's your first type. And then you had like low yeah, like jack pines. So it's like these really thick cedar like tree that grew there in those bottoms it was pretty open down there in the marshes and then you had like the jack pine ridges where they like cover like the side of a a ridge here and there that was thick i mean like these branches grew they interlocked with each other you're just fighting your way through them the whole way and then up top you had like poplars they called them or aspens to us and those were fairly open unless you fell into, like, a wind-fallen hilltop. And then it was just, like, operating through a maze of fallen trees. And that was pretty meticulous, too, because you're climbing over logs. You're walking along logs to get through spots. And it, nothing was easy about it unless you're on, like, a cut logging trail. So you don't traversing. get, like,
0: hardly any moments of ease? No.
1: No, not unless you were on one of the logging trails, and a lot of those were overgrown too
0: I mean, how far are you walking through all this?
1: The longest walk we did was that day of the hunt. It was about five miles in five miles out we and Uy. it wasn't easy five miles I bet no that would
2: if you got one that'd be a hell of a pack out that would that'd be rough
1: we We discussed this Tyler and I quite a bit on our trips because you know him and I weren't doing the let's hunt from the side of the a t v majority of the time we were you know with our backpacks walking into the deep deep brush, and him and i were like you know, we're gonna have to make four six trips in and out of here and it'd be an all-day thing to get a moose out because you know he was describing to me you know you're talking like 200 pounds of meat you know each trip out between the two of us you know so like 600 800 pounds of meat total you'd be bringing out
0: and how much did they did they tell you how much they weigh so you were you were getting into the they're shooting, uh, moose here, or you're almost dead, but yep. real quick, uh, did they give you an idea of how much they weigh or
1: mm, not really? So like the size of the moose varies based on a region, uh, where, I, where I was hunting moose in Saskatchewan, you know, they're, they're kind of a smaller size than let's like, say you go up to the Yukon or in Alaska, they're, they're smaller size moose. I mean, they're bigger than the ones you'd find in the Colorado or Minnesota, um, so, to put in perspective, the largest land mammal in the United States is the American bison. And those can weigh up to a ton, maybe between a ton and two tons. And then the moose can get up to, you know, close to 2,000 pounds. Uh, the ones we were hunting are probably around 1,200. Put it in perspective.
2: They're Basically just...
1: Giant cows. G- yeah, I
2: was going to say, you're yeah. basically hauling a fat cow out.
1: Yeah. Um, so we had to traverse through all that to get to where we were at when we heard that bull moose calling down there in the bottom. Tyler had me set up. Um, he started calling at it and the moose was just, you know, calling back to us, you know, little like tending grunts. So we, we kind of put two and two together and we're like, well, he's probably got a cow with him. But all of a sudden I hear trees crashing to my left very hard. And I look at Tyler and he's like, second bull. I'm like, what? So your heart starts racing because you know, something's coming. And I'm trying to, like, look through all the thick jack pines we were hiding in. And I'm like, where, where is this thing? Where is it coming? And I start seeing trees to my left. Like, I'm not talking, like, branches or twigs. Like, freaking trees being <laughs> thrown to the ground. Jeez. And I'm Excellent. like, what did I get myself into? And I, see, and I see the hooves. And the hooves are thundering through the woods. He freaking knocks over two, three more deadfall trees. And I was like, holy crap. This thing massive. And he, he stopped. He stopped right outside of our little jackpine thicket. And I, my rifle is trained on him. I got him in my scope. But problem is, I'm starting at his hooves, mind you. I'm, I'm kneeling on the ground. So, scopes on the hooves, falling the leg up, falling the leg up, still falling the leg up. <laughs> it, it doesn't end. I mean, his his leg went up into the brows of the jackpines, And I'm like, I can't even see his body. I mean, he's standing. His legs are six feet long, and I have no shot right now. I can't even tell what this bull is, if he is a bull. And could not see antlers, could not see his body. I had no shot. So I'm sitting there. I'm watching his legs through the, you know, the branches, and he starts heading to the left. So he sat there for a little bit, obviously wind-checking wind us, which stinks because he's pretty close at this point, 60 yards out. And he's heading to the left. And I'm falling off my scope. I'm just desperately searching for any kind of opening through all this thick stuff we're in for for a viable shot. Um, that was not happening. And then at the last second, and this is the, the moment of the hunt, you know, you guys always have that moment in the hunt where you're like, man, I really wish I would have took a different action or recourse. And maybe things... Every time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, it, something would have... It would have turned out completely different. But I had an opening there where I could see the back of the bull the moose and I could see the tough of his ears. So I I had a shot on his back, could have probably spined the moose, but no antlers were confirmed. And at that moment, you know, I lean over to Tyler and I'm like, do you see antlers? Or Actually, I think he initiated it. He asked me, do you see antlers? And I said, no. And I said, do you? He's like, no. So 99% chance that was a bull, but that 1% chance it was a cow, which you cannot shoot there. I didn't want to take the risk, so I aimed. I, I decided not to shoot, and the moose continued on on its way. But I mean, we still had that bull moose below us calling at us, and we thought for sure, you know, we were gonna get him to come in. And he ended up just sticking with his cow, did a few circles around us, and herded the cow away from us. And that that was kind of the it, the, the end of that morning's venture there, an encounter with a moose. So, I've heard I don't know,
2: but up in, I think. It is either Alaska or Canada. They have to have a certain certain amount of brow tines or certain amount of inches in their paddles before you can shoot them, don't they?
1: Yeah, I think in Alaska, and I, and I don't, you know, look at your regulations. I'm not a regulation expert. Sure. And they're changing all the time, hunters, so make sure you check them annually. Yeah. But I do believe there is a antler or a, what would they call that? Uh, like a paddle length restriction on that. Uh, and where I was hunting, no. It was like if it has any kind of antlers on it, open game. kill it. That's awesome. So, I mean, the the guys that went hunting after me, because my hunting trip was cut short. We can talk about that later. Sure. But, um, you know, the guys after me, they ended up shooting like a little, basically forked, young, you know, year old bull moose. Right. And that was was their moose they got on their trip.
0: But, I mean, to put into perspective, I think anybody with the right mind would be shooting something like that, especially if you're going through all of that work, You're getting, you know, I mean, maybe in the beginning of the hunt, you might not, I don't know how long you were supposed to be there for, but I think anybody in their right mind would have taken that, even though it is a smaller bowl, that's a, that's a, not a once in a lifetime chance, but it's pretty close to it.
1: So, so just to clarify, this, this was not a a trophy hunt. It was a, I want to fill my freezer with delicious moose meat. Absolutely. Um, So like I said, it's my third year going up there in Saskatchewan. The first two years before that, I was whitetail hunting. Most of the meals we had catered to us or at the outposts we were at were moose meat. And it was the best tasting wild game I've ever had. So that's what prompted me to try and do a moose hunt this year.
0: I know we're going to kind of be venturing here for a second, but I want to ask you about the the whitetail hunting up there real quick. I mean, is it the same as around here where, you know, you go sit in a tree and you wait, or is it kind of like you're hunting a moose where you're on a move, you're, you're, constantly making moves on
1: them no it's it's pretty similar experience around here where you're in a set um the only the only difference you know obviously we're in iowa we can't bait deer which that's another topic because hey i got a delicious little food plot where i hunt and that's apparently legal but yeah you can't hunt over a pile of corn i personally have a different perspective on baiting after hunting multiple states that allowed baiting um a deer is going to do what a deer does you know the bait is just an incentive that either smart buck's going to take or not take. Don't change into Food pot's no different. Let's put it that way. They got uh, about the same size, a little bigger, a little smaller up there? Uh, body size is drastically even bigger than ours here. Uh, antlers... So you're saying about 3, 350? <laughs> close to 400, maybe? No, nah, you're talking, like, on average, like, a good buck up there is 220, 240. You year. know? Um, and your bigger ones are pushing close to 280. 290 up there nice. and a lot of, you know, they get a few 300 sound then, sure. but they put on so much more fat just to survive the winters up there. And, you know, case in point last year, uh, I did a bull hunt up there in the middle of November and per- perfect Canada to welcome me to a mid November hunt. I land on the ground and it's a freaking blizzard. <laughs> uh, so we had to play a, Hey, where's the road game for, six hours that night on a three hour should have been a three hour drive. So it's to get just to like lodge. being at
2: home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I going back to the rental for that night, I had specifically told him I want a four wheel pickup truck for this exact moment. Well, a four wheel pickup truck does, you know, good when the tires they put on it is highway tires. Yeah, like street tires. That's rough. It it was terrible. I was sliding all over the place. But I made it there, one piece, thanks to, you know, having that winter driving experience. Yep,
2: that helped out a lot.
1: Hey, slow down. Just get there when you get there. But I was hunting, on average, it was negative 22 degrees every day. Wow. Uh, I was happy when it got into the single negative degree digits. And, you know, every once in a while you get above zero and you're like, oh, thank God. It's like summertime, though. It felt like summer after you know, spending, you know, six days out there just freezing your butt off, but they do baiting there, so they had, like, a bunch of alfalfa piles set up, and it really, it's a benefit to the deer herd there, because there's just not a lot of food in those thick forests that time of year, so it really helps the deer herd out, keeping them fed uh, with the kind of hunting they do there, but I remember it was... The last day, I, actually, yeah, it was the last night I had there to hunt. and they, they put me on a nocturnal buck that just would not come in, unfortunately, the first few days. So got a lot of reading done. You get, like, a few does and young bucks to entertain you. But the last day, I finally had a mature buck come in. And I remember the first shot, for some reason, I don't know if my arrow hit the top of the blind. Because I wasn't even a bow hunter's blind. It was a pretty tight blind. I had to actually poke my bow out of the blind to take a shot. And it fell 10 yards short. And I remember there was like three minutes left of shooting light. So I had that in the back of my mind, trying to knock another arrow, which, by the way, were frozen in my quiver. Oh, man. So I'm trying to break the ice out of my quiver that had formed in there. And this buck's running around my freaking blind. He just doesn't know what's going on. He hears me rustling in there because it was pretty tight quarters in, in that blind. I'm trying to like knock, get, get an arrow out of my quiver, trying to knock it, get the ice off the knock. It was just chaos. Finally, that buck settled down. He's like, well, I don't know what the heck just happened. He got back on the bait pile, and he had his butt towards me. And you're like, that's not a good shot. And then he did a little sidestep with his back leg. And I'm like, you just signed your death warrant because... Nice <laughs> nice, nice cordon way shot. Yeah, exactly. I slipped that arrow right right between his leg and the ribs and nice. died right there on the bait pile. That's awesome. And to me, like that was my accomplishment. Like, hey, because... Like, I'm not going to lie, like, comes with cold weather, uh, I hate cold weather. Yep. I hate hunting in it. Um, I've actually gone away from tree stands now. I have towers, you know, just to be more comfortable hunting that late season. Little buddy heaters and stuff in there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to me, it was a personal accomplishment to say, hey, I hunted negative 26 degrees. Actually, it was, like, negative 30 that night when I killed it, and I I did it with a bow. You know, not a lot of people were rifle hunting that time of year because it's easier. But I I did that with a bow
0: and that was a pretty big accomplishment to me. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh so anyways, to get back to the uh to your moose adventure though. Sure. Where were we at there?
1: Well yeah. we just we just had the encounter with yeah. that that bull moose. Yep. Yeah.
0: So then what happened from there on after after your bull went away and the other bull and
1: So so we continued onward. That was the day of the great trek we'd call it later on. Um we continued two and a half miles further in to this creek and you know how we had low water this year they had low water too so we had a canoe actually where we were supposed to do some water hunts but everywhere we went the water was so low you couldn't like launch anywhere with the canoe so we walked all the way to this creek back there and it was like probably the most gorgeous place i had been to on the hunt at that point so that was really cool and you know especially after you just walked you know four and a half miles five miles through all that thick stuff you're, you're pretty burned out carrying a 40 pound pack with you plus your rifle, and and me, I I film, so I have my camera equipment with me too. So we took a little, Tyler at least took a little siesta. Me, I was still hoping a bull moose would just show up after he was playing this. You you could use electronic calls there. So he set up an electronic call down there by the creek, and I was just waiting for something to show up. And What seemed to be the continuing trend there is nothing did show up. But um, it was a beautiful place just to, like, look at some Canadian wilderness, because all these other people, they aren't seeing it, you know, the guys that walked six six miles in are, are seeing this site, so that was kind of cool and then we traversed back where, where we came from no luck there, and we got back to our camp and again, you know, like I said like, the, the, the thoughts of that morning, like what could have happened possibly, kind of run through your mind at that point, and I've I've done a lot of these excursions, adventures, hunts. And I kind of knew in the back of my mind, like that was the moment. Cause like you'll do these five, six day hunts all for that one moment to harvest your game. And I I felt like that was that moment at that point.
2: (laughs) Kind of not discouraged, but kind of like, well, that that was it. Now I'm just going to kind of enjoy the scenery and whatever happens, happens.
1: Yeah. That was kind of my mentality. Um, you know, back in your mind, you're always hoping, well, maybe you get that second chance. Sometimes you get a second chance on these hunts. So, I mean, that that was still in play, but in the back of my mind, I kind of knew, like, that that was it.
2: <laughs> so, what, uh, you end up getting one up there then, or just kind of no,
1: we so, not lucking out? So, it was supposed to be a eight-day hunt, um, and this was day five. We went back out, no luck that day. The weather there was pretty sour like super windy and rainy sure. and then um day six came we had one more encounter that day and that was kind of a cool experience actually because i i told tyler earlier i wanted to hear what it sounded like of paddles like breaking against all these young aspen trees and he says it's a pretty neat sound all you hear is just a, you know like his antlers just crashing through the brush we're sitting there against this berm, and Tyler's calling, and all of a sudden, I hear, I hear that sound. And I'm like, Tyler, Tyler, I swore I just heard paddles rubbing against trees. He's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. Um, and then all of a sudden, we're sitting there talking, arguing about like what I heard, what I didn't <laughs> hear. And we hear a tree get knocked over, and Tyler's like, oh, yeah, that, that's a moose. So like I was like on the ground, kneeling, ready to shoot, whatever's going to come across this logging trail. And Tyler's like, well, let's back up a little bit. And we sat there for a little bit. It, it's amazing just just how big a moose is. You think you'd be able to see it better and easier. They are super elusive out there. It is amazing because they got pretty much black fur. And, you know, in the shadows of the forest, they, they blend right in with that. And this bull moose could have been 10 yards from our parked ATV from the sounds of it, and we could not see him. And then all of a sudden we hear it jumping around over some like fallen logs, knocking over some more trees. And we knew he winded us at this point. The wind was not in our favor where that bull moose was. And odds are we actually got out of our ATV probably right where he was standing at the time. Yeah. But, I mean, it was cool. I got to hear, hear the sound. And he was probably a big bull from the sound of his paddles running through the trees. So, at least I got to experience that. And that was kind of the last run-in I had with a, a moose
0: there. Um So, we were talking upstairs before we came down here and do the podcast, and we were talking about your wolf encounter. Can you kind of walk us through that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, really cool. uh, In Saskatchewan, they started allowing wolf tags again, but there's a little bit of a... You can't hunt wolves. They can't go directly out hunting for wolves, mind you, but you can get a wolf tag now. And this allows you to take a wolf, you know, while you're in pursuit of another game, be be it deer... Um, or, or moose in this case. And day two, I, I almost filled that tag. That was pretty, pretty cool. We were actually uh, driving to town to get some provisions, and all of a sudden these ravens lit onto the road. And we're like, whoa, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden there's a giant black and gray wolf chasing after him. And, I, I mean, this thing, he was bigger than me. We'll just put it in that, that perspective. Like, you, you think the size of a St. Bernard, it, it was bigger than that. It was huge. Say, they get probably about
2: 150, 200 pounds, don't they? Close, it,
1: somewhere around that area? This one was probably 180 at least. Jeez. Yeah, and they, it, it was giant, giant timber wolf. I got excited. Um, it was all I could do to get out of the truck and get onto the road and, you know, actually get my rifle out of the case. By the time I had done that, and, you know, that road we were hunting, it was legal to sh- to shoot a wolf on that road or any kind of animal for that matter. But the wolf had already left him back into the woods, Um we actually came to find out someone had killed a moose later that night, or maybe the day before. Another another thing, you know, there's a lot of night hunters around there. Whether it's legal or not, that's up to their jurisdiction. It's not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Canada's got its own politics, you know. They have a lot of native culture there. So the natives kind of get away with, you know, doing their own thing up there, which... Hey, you know that. In all honesty, you know they need the meat and stuff, so it it comes down to that for them.
2: Yeah, a lot of those guys probably just living remotely and off the land the way it is anyway, aren't they?
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, we we kind of we take that for granted because around right. here, you know, we have grocery stores. We we have other ways to sustain us if you don't fill fill your tag. But up there, it, it's life. That's survival. Yep. Um. So yeah, we hunted over that bull moose carcass for a little bit. Um. Uh, apparently, made the wrong decision to hunt in the ditch because another wolf had come out onto the road as Tyler came back to pick me up. And he's like, Why didn't you shoot? I'm like, Shoot what? He's like, Another wolf just ran across. And I'm like, oh, That that just goes on to show my luck for, for this excursion. So you're just, just too far down, couldn't see him?
0: Yeah. And speaking of luck on your adventure there, you said that you got cut short. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: Um, There's no cell service out there, so I, for six days I was basically in the dark as to what was going on in the world, and it's kind of actually a nice break to have now and then. Uh, Not so much a nice break when you find out one of your family members got hurt within that six days. So day, yeah, day six. You no, know, day seven would have been. No, it would have been day six. So day six, the weather turned really sour, and. Yeah, I mean, like, by sour, like, it just pelted rain. You know, we were getting just downpours. So Tyler and I were going to go hunt bears for that day in these fields, and that brought us back into town. I had cell service again, and, you know, the messages start streaming in, and all of a sudden I see a message on my phone, like, hey, you know, dad got hurt. And I'm like, ooh, hey, the hunt's over at this point. And like, because, like, you're just in the game at the moment. Like, okay, I'm hunting, you know, I got my bear tag, maybe I get some bear meat. And all of a sudden you see something come up where, like, one of your family members is injured, then it's just, like, you're totally out of the zone then. Time to leave. Yeah, exactly. But long story short, we'll just say someone needs to know how to wear their Crocs better. (laughs) Um, There's a a strap on them for a reason. They're not designed to just be a slip-on, slip-off kind of
0: shoe. Should have had it in four-wheel drive, he said.
1: (laughs) Should have put it in four. But um, thankfully, he's okay. I caught the next, the quickest flight I could get out of there, which was the next morning. So the hunt was hunting was pretty much over a couple of days earlier than I wanted it to be. But like I've told you guys before, family takes precedence. It doesn't matter where I'm at in the world, absolutely you know, I'm gonna come back and help them out. Yep, yep.
2: Speaking of uh, like the flying and stuff, how was it getting through like customs and stuff like that with a weapon? How do you how do you get through with all that you got a special permit to fly with that a weapon or
1: so i was super nervous when i started doing these kind of hunts and it it, it is nervous no matter what, what you do you can youtube all the tutorials you want or not but you're gonna be nervous the first time you check a rifle in um you want to make sure you have a good secured case so i'm not talking the freaking soft shells or like the soft flimsy plastic get like some hard plastic case for your rifle you want, like, the molded, the molded foam that you can cut to silhouette your, your rifle or whatever weapons you're bringing with you on your trip. And you want to make sure that you have the right locks to secure. And for me, it's four locks. So you got two on either side. So, you know, no one can access that case without you. And you want to make sure your ammo and your rifles start separately. The, the first time you go in to check your rifle, you're going to have TSA. They're going to look through it. They're going to make sure your rifle's is disassembled. So that means you're taking your bolt out or, say, you got a shotgun. you got the barrel taken off it. That It's got to be disassembled to a point where it cannot fire. Sure. And then you got to have the ammo stored separately. And depending on where you're traveling, it could just be in the original manufacturer's box or they might require you to put it in a lockbox itself. But it's got to be stored in a separate check bag can't be in the same case as your your rifle. Um, Your biggest issue, and this is something I've seen a lot of people make a mistake of, and this is why I went through a travel agent because they know customs, is people would try and do their connecting flight within an hour of them landing into, you know, say you you fly into Canada, and they're trying to catch a connecting flight an hour later, and it's not going to happen. I promise you it will not happen. You need at least three hours to get through customs. Wow. That's... That's a lot. it, it is. Um, it's basically like going through security again, but tenfold. Sure. Because they're gonna ask you questions. they are like, hey, why are you here? Um, what's your purpose? Are you bringing anything here illegal or whatnot? And they're gonna right. check. They're gonna check all your check bags for anything yep. contraband. Um, and like for you nicotine users, you know, there's certain limits you can only bring into, you know, Canada, for example. So you gotta make sure you're within those limits. You know.
0: So <laughs> I actually got a funny thing about that up somebody that I know through the grapevine, and we're not gonna say who this person is or what they how they did it, but uh they go up there hunting all the time. I don't know if they go up there duck hunting or whatever. And uh they had cattle that they were taking up there too though. So they were they were taking cattle up there and they were also going on a hunting trip. And uh well apparently they don't check cattle trailers. So they just put all their beer and everything up into the, the front of the cattle trailer <laughs> oh, where, like, all your, you know, you take your show cattle stuff, you know, put it up in there. Put all their cigarettes and chew and yeah. beer up in there, and that's how they made it through. But, you know, I, I don't know who these people are. I just, it's just a story <laughs> that I heard. Uh, good for them. It's
1: like, I've had to put in perspective. I've gone through Toronto's customs, and they were very, very thorough when they searched. And then the last trip. I As they it should it. be. I finally went through Saskatoons customs and they were more like a Uh-huh. So you're good. Check your paperwork. I'm like, Do you want to look for my bag? And they're like, No, you're good. So so they probably <laughs> just deal with that stuff
2: on a daily not shouldn't say a daily basis, but probably quite a bit that they know you're up there hunting and you're yeah, out there to cause I think trouble it, or nothing. I think it
1: helped it was my third trip up there. Oh, a lot sure. of the newer guys that they haven't documented before they, they would check, but Oh, they you know, th- they have you documented every time you come through
2: with like a weapon or something?
1: Yeah. So, okay. so like my guide, um, personally, he requested because they don't get like flavored tobacco up there. Like he said, hey, bring me some wintergreen Copenhagen. Sure. A lot of them do that, you know, because you don't get that in Canada. Um, they have a lot of funny rules up there. But I, I, you know, took a couple rolls up there with him. That's over your limit. So I was like kind of sweating that on this last trip. So I'm like, well, Whatever, I'll just pay the duty. Which right. the, the duty is basically a tax, you know. That's that's really what this is all for. They want to make sure they get the money for stuff sure. you're bringing over, but they didn't even check for that. Yeah. So,
0: so you were kind of talking about the that your guides were telling you about the horror stories that they had. You're t- kind of telling us a couple things.
1: Yeah. So, you know, what I tell people is like these these excursion adventures you go on is you want to work your way up to it. Because you don't want to put the money and time and effort into it and come back with a bad experience. So, case in point, like this moose hunt, yeah, I didn't get anything. But that happens. That's hunting. It was still a great experience. I had a fun adventure. No one got hurt. Uh, We all had a good time. But on some of these adventures and excursions I've gone on, it's it's these first-time hunters that seem to come from a, a background with no hunting or experience. And they expect to show up and just be... Uh, Rambo out there in the woods and it's just not not the case and instead you end up looking like a fool um one of them would have been my my alaskan reindeer hunt in the islands uh we had a guy every time you go on these hunts you want to make sure you zero your rifle and you never know what happens they're in transit check your bow make sure it shoots straight well this guy was just having a heck of a time trying to zero in his rifle i mean he wasn't hitting the broadside of a barn and not one of his bullets landed on paper, 100 yards out. We've gone through two boxes at this time, which you're only a lot of two boxes. So you better make sure you already at least tempted to shoot your rifle before you show up.
2: How uh <clears throat> For the guides and stuff, how far do they actually want you to be able to shoot? 100 yards. Just 100? Anything past yeah, that, it's, it's kind of on standard
1: you? Standard I've been on, it's, it's 100 yards zero. Sure. And they probably, as soon as you get to camp, you got to prove to them that you can do it. Correct. Okay. This guy cannot prove it. Um, <laughs> so the the outfitter was questioning whether or not to allow this guy to actually go on the hunt. Well, the guy had paid a buttload of money to hunt these reindeer, so obviously they're going to like, okay, well, you can hunt, but under strict supervision. Um, me and Rob on that hunt. He's Rob's a guy from Massachusetts, super fit dude. We we got elected to go into the interior on this island to hunt for, you know, our reindeer. And this guy stuck close to the lodge, and I remember we came back to the lodge with both our reindeers, and everyone got a reindeer. But when I had shot mine, I could hear a bunch of shooting going on in the next valley over, and I was like, well, what's going on there? And it sounded like a freaking war zone. Well, we come to find out that same guy that couldn't zero his rifle it took 12 shots to, uh, he threw 12 shots at his reindeer and still failed to dispatch it. So the guide actually had to drive up with 4 and chase it down and dispatch it with his revolver. But, uh, you, you don't want to be that guy at the lodge that ended up not being able to successfully dispatch his animal in a humane way. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's
2: just no good. That's really anywhere. And I'm sure he got a lot of crap for that.
1: Yeah, he, he did. I mean, you know, you kind of get that persona then put about, you like, I don't think hunting's really your thing right now for this kind of stuff. Like I, I, we all shuddered at the lodge to think of where he's going next on his time. Sure.
2: That's why I was going to ask. Do like some of the, the guide services, do they kind of connect to say, Hey, maybe watch this guy or maybe <laughs> not. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not have this guy come with you or if he does, you know, just um, yeah, be wary. De- definitely
1: through the Cabela grapevines. Um, you know, they, they know their, their people, their clientele, and you get a reputation about, you. Yeah, you know, they, you're just not the guy they're looking for uh, on your hunts. And, you know, I'm not speaking on behalf of Cabela's signature hunts or any of that. I, they're they're great experiences. You just want to make sure you're, you're there to have a fun time, know what you're doing, and come back, you know, safe and have a fun experience and not bring the whole group down with sure. you. Sure.
2: You were saying that uh, you got to go on this island or something with the ice volcano that a lot of people haven't been to?
1: Yes, what was that like? That was probably still my my most epic adventure yet to this date. It's called the Island of Umnak on the Aleutian Islands in Alaska, and Cabela's broadcast or advertised as like a reindeer hunt. Um, and reindeer are essentially a non-migrating caribou classification, but they they do look different from like your mainland caribou. You know, most of them have like the double. Um, what's the word for, spoons, or like, you know, double paddles in the brow tines, these ones would have like a single usually, and uh, one paddle, but uh, they had, how do I describe it, I I had this image in my mind of what I was going to be hunting these reindeer on, it was an island, and I'm like, it's an island, it's going to be freaking easy. Uh, and then you find out the island's 40 miles by 60 miles. It's freaking giant. And there's no vegetation. So these reindeer could see you coming from miles out. And it wasn't exactly easy sneaking up on them, to put it that way. Um, so there was multiple modes of travel on this one. Uh, it took 24 hours to get to Alaska. And then you had to hop on a, a bush plane to transit the Aleutian Island chain to get to the island you were hunting. And I still remember we were coming down the land. You could see all these herds of reindeer. There's little white specks down below you. That was pretty cool. And there's a giant ice volcano called Mount Besidov. So a lot of Russian names there on the island. Because obviously we bought Alaska from the Russians. So the Russians had discovered a lot of points on the island. And when we're landing, you know, this mountain just towers over the whole island. That's like your landmark. And I still remember we land on this dirt runway, and there's, there's a burned-out plane sitting there on the right from a long time ago. Oh, that's
2: encouraging.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, um, you know, this could go south pretty, pretty quickly because this is the only way to get to the island is, you know, by plane. Um, thankfully, though, our plane landed safely and took off safely on the return trip. But you get there, uh, there's a little sign for Nikolski. That's like the only settlement there on the island. This is like population, I think it was like 22. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very small community. Uh, all really great people. But um, I, I didn't even get to, they they advertised this five-star lodge they had there on the island. I didn't really get to experience the lodge much. Was, More rough it? Yeah. Before I even got pack, uh, unpacked. Uh, Adam, the Cabela's host, came out and told me, hey, you know, you're going to go live on this outpost for a few days with Rob and that's, rough it up. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, we drove 22 miles out in the middle of the island um, to go sit up in this outpost. And I, I actually, I like that experience. Um, you know, I, I'm a big rock guy. I have my own little beach to go look at rocks every night when we were done hunting reindeer. So that was a pretty cool experience. And we actually... They say Umnak is where storms are made. So you guys ever watch, like, Billy's Catch? Yeah, yep. Yeah, so like all, those, stuff. all those crazy storms, those crab fishermen go through mm-hmm. and originate there. And we definitely could see that because you could see all these squalls, they'd call them. You'd see all this ice and wind and rain and snow come pelting in. And then behind us, it'd form up into something bigger. Because right there, you had the Bering Sea and the Pacific kind of meeting. So you had two fronts kind of colliding with each other. And that's got a this, cold
2: front. Right. Warm
1: front all the time and uh. yeah yeah one side of the island would be drastically warmer than the other that's something I, I'd find out the Bering Seaside was much colder and the Pacific side you actually had like warm air it was it was really interesting huh but um that that was an awesome hunt um I still remember it was my first it was my first excursion first time doing this um and. The very first day I seen a reindeer, I'm like, hey, I'd shoot that one to the guy. And the guy's like, no, you're not shooting that one. And I'm like, why not? It's big. I, I want to shoot it. He's like, no, no, they get bigger. And I'm like, I, I'd be happy with that one. Because like, in the back of my mind, I just want to kill a bunch of ducks, too. Because this is like a two-hunt thing for me. Sea ducks and, and reindeer. And the guy's just very insistent. The first day, I do not shoot any of these reindeer we have been seeing. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> and Rob had been talking to me, too. He's like, dude, you got to trust your guys. And I'm like, because this is all new to me, right? So I've never really done a guide hunt before for this kind of stuff. So the second day, same thing. We see all these reindeer, and I'm like, I'd shoot that one. And they're like, no, 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 you're not shooting that one. And I'm like, why not? It's bigger than the ones we saw before. are like, no, 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 they get bigger. <clears throat> and I'm like, okay, whatever. And, you know, I'm just a little, you know, it was like five years ago. And like I said, this is new to me. And it was just like, dude, I'm happy, I'm happy killing that one. And I, I was very thankful come day three when the guides were still talking me out of shooting these small reindeer, I come to find out. Because then you start seeing the bigger ones, and you're like, oh, wow. Like, okay, that's why we were not shooting those other ones before. And uh, there was this bull, and we ended up naming it Wednesday on day three of the hunt. Because uh, I was really, again, you know, I was like, hey, I killed that one. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to keep looking. And I'm like, well, we're going to call that bull Wednesday. And you are like, why? Because like, I'm going to kill that bull on Wednesday if we don't find another one because I want to go duck hunting. Because, you know, you only know, like get six or uh, it was a seven days. You get seven days there. And I wanted to make sure I had time to uh, hunt ducks. But that was a fun day when we saw Wednesday because we ended up going up to Mount Seedoff, the big ice volcano that towered over the whole island. And we went up into, like, the snow line. And we went to a spot called Derby Point there. And I thought that was cool because the guides kind of like looked at us incredulously and were like, yo, we never brought hunters here before. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Just kind of like nonchalantly talking back to them. and Like, no, 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 we never brought hunters here before. I'm like, is this like a significant spot or something? And are like, yeah, like maybe 200 people from the village have ever been here before. And you're like, more people have been on the moon than this one spot. But then you're kind of, like, thinking about that for a little bit, and you're like, that's pretty cool. You're at a spot on this planet that only a handful of people have ever been to. And I still remember, it It, it was, like, this giant, like, rocky jut that just, like, came off the side of the island. That was Derby Point. And I still remember, I, I plopped down the side of it, and I ate my little egg sandwich for my lunch that day and i looked out towards the bering sea you see this island called the three sisters like three volcanic islands there and you you really feel like you're on the edge of the freaking world looking out that way and looked, that was probably the pinnacle of that hunting experience
0: so we were talking about when you finally did go to get the ducks that's when i'm excited i want to hear about the duckies here Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Doing your ducks. <laughs> it's a good time. Anyways, so you said you ended up getting a Harlequin duck and an eater?
1: Yeah, so uh Schneider got the eider, it became the saying on that hunt. <laughs> um again, I didn't know what eiders were. I just wanted my Harlequin. And we got the Harlequin within first hour of hunting. And I was happy, you know, like, cool. We got the Harlequin Drake, life is good. And another Harlequin Drake came in. I was gonna shoot that one. And the guide stopped me, and they're like, no, don't shoot. I'm like, why? He's right there. They're like, there's eiders out there. I'm like, what's an eider? And they're like, see them white specks way out there in the distance? And they're like a mile out in the bay at this point. And I'm like, yeah, those are eiders. And they said, we're going to wait for eiders to show up. And I'm like, okay. So we waited and waited and waited. And I come to find out these birds are actually very smart and very wary. Um, but these eiders would do giant circles, and every time they did a giant circle, they get a little closer and a little closer. And I mean, we were waiting for two, three hours at this point for these white ducks. And at the same time, we have all these harlequins coming in and out. And I'm like, dude, just let me shoot these birds. And they're like, no, we're waiting for the eiders. And I didn't really understand how significant an eider was at the time, but uh, apparently they're they're a pretty well sought out trophy bird in the world of sea ducks. And the guys were very insistent that I was going to get an eider. They, they had a fun time with me. We'll just leave it at that. Um, I was very entertained on the whole hunt. So they, tra- they taught me, or they uh, they, uh, they uh, treated me very well during my whole experience there. And the eiders got within 80 yards. And finally Nick, one of the other guys, said, hey, we're, we're going to sneak out around and try and like, low crawl around this rocky ledge and try and cut them off next time we do a circle. So we did just that, low-crawled, took a shot at 40 yards, missed. They flew away. I'm like, okay, cool, let's get back in the drainage tube and keep hunting harlequins. They're like, no, 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 no. We're hunting eiders now. And I'm like, I would come to lament those words. Um, So hunting eiders entailed me low-crawling through 300 yards of jagged, rocky shoreline to take another shot at an eider and... It miraculously took every bullet I probably flung at it and still swam away. Um, sea ducks that come to find have a very thick fur, or thick, thick line of feathers, excuse me, not fur. Feathers. Um, and they're it's like body armor, it's like Kevlar. And, you know, this duck was forty yards away, I took a shot at it and I swore it took every BB and still flew away. And Nick's like, No, we're not done. There's there's more uders there on the on the edge of the coast and we blow crawl for another six hundred yards. And I, I'm wearing nice, brand-new, freaking Sitka waders, and they're shredded by this time. I mean, every rock I hit on, it just started ripping and tearing, and I'm like, great. <laughs> um, so, like, 1 o'clock rolled around, we broke for lunch, and I'm just, I'm exhausted. My abs are on fire. All we've done is just chase these eiders around the the bay for, you know, the last five hours now. And I was like, yeah, I want to kill an eider, too, <laughs> at this point. So we went to the Pacific side of the island, and it was a cold day. I remember we were hunting around, like, this rock wall on the coastline, and waves were crashing over us. We were so miserable. Icy water was just washing over us every time a wave would crash. And Adam and I were talking to each other. We were getting fed up. Nick Nick and Josh were fed up at my choice in camouflage because they'd swear every eider would see me a mile away, and, yeah, I don't disagree with them because every eider we seen would fly away before we even get set up on them. <laughs> but Adam and I were talking, and all of a sudden I stopped, and I looked behind Adam, and this big wave came through and washed a bunch of eiders into the shoreline, into this cove. And I was like, Adam, don't move. There's eiders behind you. And he's like, okay. We waited. I waited for him to get pulled back out the surf. And then we ran to Nick and Josh, and I'm like, dude, dude, there's, there's freaking eiders out here. And he's like, no, there isn't. And I'm like, Yep. Yeah, look over the rock wall. And he looks over the rock wall. He's like, oh, yeah, there's eiders. And, uh, he told Nick and I to, you know, sneak along the rock wall. He watched him from his, his lane and we got to the edge of the rock wall and Nick and I got set up and it was perfect. I mean, like the next wave came up and all of a sudden I had eiders like in my face and that took a shot, knocked out a drake and a hen in one shot. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Well then half the other battle is getting Josh's dog Mutt to go retrieve it because Within seconds, those ducks were getting pulled out in the riptide. I mean, they're getting way out there in the ocean. And the whole time, we're watching mutt swim out there in this ridiculous surf. And we're just crossing our fingers that he's going to grab that white one, the drake. And he did and brought it back. And it, it was pretty cool. I mean, like, it, you had to be there for it. It was just wicked conditions. wind's howling. I could barely hear Nick when, you know, he handed me the eider and said, hey, congratulations, Schneider, you got your eider. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, man, it just the work we put in to get that one dang bird was ridiculous.
0: So do they, do they, since you're saying it's so windy and so on and you really couldn't hear much, you're not calling at these ducks like you do around here? or
1: No, no calling. So what? what we're doing is, for the Harlequins, we were, we we're hunting basically over a freshwater source that was trickling into the ocean.
0: So, no no decoys, no... Nope. That's a, that'd be weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it was a really cool island, dude. I mean, they had, like, mallards there, teal. Um, oh, I actually ended up shooting some Eurasian Wigeon that came in in a storm. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. So, you can only get those in Russia, typically. Um and a storm had blown them in. They landed on one of the freshwater inland ponds. And I remember, I still remember it was like day eight, and it was just nasty out. Because, like, where storms are made, yeah, like the first few days, we had good weather hunting the reindeer. But then the last part of the trip, it was just constant rain and wind and the storms. And I was looking out from the lodge at these ducks had just landed in this pond, and Josh comes up to me and is like, oh, yeah, those are Eurasian wigeons. And I'm like, uh-huh. Like, you want to go kill one? I'm like, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, do you, I take it you're not, their limits are probably the same here, where it's six ducks. I'm taking it you're not shooting limits of ducks out there.
1: No, they had a certain limit. Um, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head at the time, but you know, you had your saltwater and freshwater species there. Um, It's all, Again, like, Natives is a big thing on some of these trips. You know, a lot of them don't fall in the common jurisdictions that we're used to. Uh, This island, the Aleutian Islands are called the Aleutian Islands because it belongs to the Aleutian people jurisdiction. It's all tribal there. So they have their own set of rules and stuff. And, like, you know, fishing licenses were through them. Uh, The reindeer tags were through them, too. So it was a little different than going through, like, Alaska fishing game for your tags.
2: So with uh, the Natives, do you have everybody got to get permission through them? They just kind of, like... Grant you to come onto their land to hunt, correct? And they get a certain probably amount of money for, from the guides or yep, the outfitters to do this.
1: Yes, yep. Um, actually, there's a pretty cool history of how the reindeer even got on that island. Uh, back to World War II, there's actually an old um, so the Japanese actually tried invading that island a few times, and the army actually posted like an air force base on the northern edge of that island, and they brought reindeer in to supplement, just in case, like, the it became an, a war of attrition. So if the Japanese sure. ever invaded the island, they at least had some source of meat there to uh, to live off of. And that's how the reindeer even got there in the first place here, brought it over from uh, Russia. That's, that's actually a really cool piece of history to know that.
0: So I take it they just come took that island over because there's probably no bears there's probably no nothing out there no
1: zero zero predators the only thing i'd see were foxes out there they actually introduced bison too on that island i never got to see any of the bison but uh they're hoping maybe in another 10 years or so they can
0: start doing bison hunts on the island yes uh, and then uh so that was that was just your one alaska trip have you gone back or anything
1: I haven't yet. Um, I try to do, like, one a year, um, and I try, I really want to go back to that one, because, you know, like, the guy, Josh, you know, he lives there on the island, and him and I communicate back and forth. It was kind of a cool relationship we had back. He'd send me, like, this dried salmon he'd have. Um, I'd send him some rock, maybe some turkey meat, something, you know, he's not getting there, he'd send me stuff that I'm not getting here. So, we, we have a pretty good relationship, and, you know, every year, Josh asks, you know, when are you coming back? And I'm just like, dude, I'd love to. If I had that freedom of time um i, I do want to go back there someday just to see him again really it's more for for that just to you know reconnect with old friends and that's why the canada trips are pretty important to me too because i made a lot of good friends there in canada and it's good seeing them every now and then um but my next hunts are actually taking me to new zealand next year for red stag and there's a couple mountain goats there i'm going to chase and then I actually just booked one for Spain to go chase Ibex. And, you know, I will go back to that island. It's just I kind of want to get some other stuff knocked out before I repeat things. And, you know, every time I go to Canada, it's been something different. You know, I went whitetail rifle. And then I went whitetail bow in the middle of freaking November. And then, you know, I did a moose hunt. You know, I don't want to rinse and repeat when I'm doing this stuff. It's all, it's all about getting, for me, it's all about the new experience.
0: Yeah, I totally understand that. That's what I like. I like I like new experiences because Wesley and I have actually started traveling recently, and that's kind of our thing. This year, we're probably going to end up going to like Illinois or Wisconsin to turkey hunt. But last year, we went out to South Dakota, and you're talking about meeting people and reconnecting. We met a couple of guys. What were they from South Carolina or North Carolina? And uh, it's kind of funny because they they didn't mean to. They ended up they didn't really bust our hunt or ruin our hunt, but we were set up. We had turkey tracks in front of us. Like, there's tons of signs that turkeys were coming to this little tiny, I don't even know how it was fed, but this little pond in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we're we're pretty close to this, like, there are fire breaks out there. You were out there. You know what it's like. Yeah. And, uh yeah, yeah, you guys
1: were hunting the Blackbills,
0: right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we actually went to that place that you sent me on, on X there.
1: The The place where I accidentally depleted my battery in the truck and we and jesse and i had to walk 10 miles in the middle <laughs> of the dark
0: oh seriously i did not know that yes that place
1: um <laughs> uh, it was snowing that day and jesse and i had the right idea to turn the heat seaters on without actually running the truck and we went to go start the truck and there was no battery
0: whoops um but yeah so these guys ended up they kind of intruded on our hunt a little bit there and and I'm kind of sitting behind Wesley. We're trying to get him and marry him. Cause I already had gotten mine and I'm waving at these guys and they didn't see me. And all of a sudden finally the guy was like, Oh, and he runs back to the car and they jump in it, and they take off. And, and, uh, him and I were walking back to the truck close to dark. And then that same car came back and the guys ended up apologizing and we ended up sitting there bullshit for like the next, I don't know, hour. And, uh, it sounds like they're going to be coming here this year or next year. And, uh, we're gonna be doing hunts with them a little bit, and they invited us to come out to where they live, and they're gonna take us, basically, just kind of do like a little local guided hunt.
1: Yeah, I think that's what it's all about, and you know, like growing up, I used to be super defensive, like you know, this is my land, I hunt it, don't share time. With any other one, but I mean, like like you said, it's it's a community, and you know, for instance, I have a couple guys from Tennessee coming up here to shotgun hunt in Iowa, and I'm like, I'm like, dude stay at my place you know hunt my land you know it's all about you know like they're like oh well you can come turkey hunt our land i'm like cool you know it's a tit for tat kind of thing yeah and you know like it like, like it's better to be more i found uh, approachable and polite to others because just yeah you don't know what you're going to get out of it and it's really cool that you you had that experience you know making connections
0: and i kind of hope that we make more connections like that like we made it a thing like I drink, he doesn't. And, uh, we'd go to the bar and we'd end up sitting there talking to the locals. You know, at the end of the day, we'd leave camp, go to the town, have some drinks Well, I'd have some drinks and have some fun and just talk to the locals and kind of see like the way they hunt out there. Cause it's different than how you hunt here. It's the same, but it's different. And, uh, I, I, I hope that on our adventures that we're going to be going on here in the future, that just, we just connect with tons of people all over the country.
1: Yeah, but, that's part of it, just meeting new people, seeing new sites, and, you know, this is another part of the hunt. It's not all about getting your game. I, you want to get your game, but there's other aspects to it that makes it a fulfilling adventure.
0: I kind of felt like a little high school girl out there just taking <laughs> pictures. Yeah. And, I, and I never realized the importance of taking pictures until recently, and now I take pictures all the time of everything. And uh, that's that's a lot of it, too. We were out there just taking pictures of everything as much as possible. And the pictures never do justice.
1: Yeah. I mean, I video and journal on all these treks I go on just just to share with others. And more importantly, just to, when I get old and have Alzheimer's so I can remember.
0: Well, I was reading your posts on Facebook. I didn't read all of them all the way through. I just, I'd read them and then I'd get something going on at work or something and I'd have to get back to work or whatever. But that I liked it. I mean, you're a good storyteller. You 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 just have this way about it. You just really, you feel immersed into the the hunt itself.
1: Yeah, I wanna I wanna bring you along with the adventure.
0: You know, I honestly say that'd be a type of thing you could send into magazines. I don't know if you do that or not, but
1: someday, someday.
0: I'm I'd serious. Like, I'd like so, to
1: put it all together someday and, you know, share with others.
0: Well, kinda like uh Jim Kyle, Andrew's dad, he wrote a book. I can't remember what he said the name of it was, but I want to buy that and read that just because it's a couple of guys that I know and I know the areas that they're going to be talking about and it just be kind of neat. I
1: didn't know that. That's Andrew next time.
0: Yeah. Well, he's actually going to be on the podcast here. We, and we asked him to come and he said he'd love to.
1: That's awesome. Andrew's a good guy.
0: Yeah, he is. Um, But we're getting towards the end here. We got a couple minutes left Uh, and I got to do my shout out for Beaver Creek game calls. Uh, They're American made. They're made to order. Uh, So they do take a little bit longer to get to you, but, I think they're totally worth it. And they make uh turkey calls, duck calls, goose calls, predator calls, deer calls. Uh, and like I said, a lot of them are handmade to order. So it does take a minute. I mean, you're not going to, it's not like going to Cabela's and getting your, your call right then and there or whatever, but I think they're worth it. So anybody else have anything to add? All right. Well, like we end every podcast, we've been screwing this up lately pretty bad. Uh, Do we got it down? (laughs) I already forgot. Oh, yeah. Stay safe. Enjoy the hunt. And know the outdoors.